Pope Francis is not a big fan of the traditional Latin Mass. The more I study Francis, the more I realize he doesn't appreciate or like the Catholicism that he was raised in. Join our at lunch today. We we're talking about this. You know, there are certain people who reject Catholicism. They're so angry about it. They don't like it for whatever reason. Then there are others. This puzzles me. There are others who stay within the church, infiltrate the church. They don't like the Blessed Virgin Mary. They don't like the traditional liturgy. They don't like Latin indulgences, all these Catholic things. And instead of just leaving, they stay inside. They try to mess it up. Hashtag infiltration. Well, many people were reporting, discussing the lead up to the Pope's latest motu proprio, Traditionis Custodis. And there are many people in the Catholic media saying, oh, it's all fake. These are just trads causing disturbances. And it turned out that Traditionis Custodis was worse than any of us even discussed, speculated. It was way worse. And now the rumblings are happening again. It's like an earthquake. There's little proto-rumblings and a major shift. And then sometimes there's what's called aftershock. Well, it seems aftershock is coming. And that's today's podcast. The aftershock of the leaders of the Ecclesia Day Commission Institutes and Societies. And we're going to explain what that means. We're talking about Fraternity of St. Peter, FSSP, Institute of the Good Shepherd, uh, Institute of Christ the King Sovereign Priest. Doesn't affect SSPX. I'll talk about that today as well. I'm going to give a history of the trad movement again because we have so many new people uh, going back to Archbishop Lefebvre in 1970, coming all the way up through into 1988, the creation of the Ecclesia Day commission. And then we're going to look at Pope Francis squashing, getting ready, get, getting ready, ready, getting rid of the Ecclesia Day commission. And then this, this rumor that the leaders of the Institute of Christ, the King fraternity of St. Peter, uh, Institute of the Good Shepherd, others will be called to Rome to discuss the implementation of Traditionis Custodis, Pope Francis's new motu proprio, and what those conversations will look like. Con celebration will likely be discussed. Uh, full acceptance of everything, every jot and tittle of the Second Vatican Council will likely be discussed. Uh, the priests of the Institute and the fraternity and others making sure not to denigrate the Novus Ordo, the Missal of Paul VI. All these topics likely will be on the counter. So before we get into that, before we get into the history, before we get into, oh, and also the Fraternity of St. Peter, their superior calling for special prayers, and I'll share those special prayers today as well. Before we get into all that, we will pray, and I invite you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father, in Latin, Oremus. In nomine Patris, et Fidii, et Spiritus Sancti, Amen. Pater Noster. Quies in celis, sanctificator nomen tuum, adveniat regnum tuum, fiat voluntas tua, sicut in cello et in terra. Panum nostrum quotidianum da nobis odie, 
et emite nobis debita nostra. Sicut et nos dimitimus debitoribus nostris, et ne nos inducas in tentationem, sed libera nos amalo. Amen. In nomine Patris, et Fidii, et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, friends, welcome aboard Dr. Taylor Marshall Podcast. Please like and subscribe. Hit the little thumbs up button, the like button, subscribe, and hit the dinghy bell. And when you hit the dinghy bell, you will be notified every time I go live. I am live right now. And you can also subscribe by hitting the subscribe in the bottom right corner. Um, also be giving away two beautiful heirloom rosaries. I'll talk about that towards the end of the show. Okay, let's get into it. First off, Pope Francis is hostile to what's called Tridentine Catholicism. Tridentine Catholicism is just Catholicism. It's just Christianity. But it is the canons, the decrees, and the sessions promulgated in the mid-late 1500s at the Council of Trent. Hence the word Tridentine. It was the council in response to Protestantism. I did a show, uh, when was that? That was Thursday, Friday, on the Lutheran distinctives, the Lutheran theology of Pope Francis and the problems of Protestant theology sneaking into Catholic seminaries and Catholic textbooks in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. It is what I call infiltration. It really did happen. It what People say, oh, it's just a conspiracy theory. No, it's a conspiracy. It's not a theory. It's a historical fact that this has happened, that you have Francis saying Lutheran things. The Council of Trent condemned things like justification by faith alone, that the Eucharist was symbolic, or that the real presence in the Eucharist was established by um, a mere spiritual presence or that consubstantiation, which is similar to the idea of impanation, something Lutherans express, though they don't always use the word consubstantiation, condemns all these heresies. It says that we should honor the saints, that we should pray to the saints, that we should have images and icons and statues of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the cross, the saints, the angels, all these things. Why? Because God commanded Moses to put two statues in the Holy of Holies on either side of the Ark of the Covenant. God's not opposed to images and statues. He's in favor of holy images and statues of those that are in heaven. He's against idols, idols of Jupiter, idols of Baal, idols of Aphrodite, and so on and so forth. That's the Catholic teaching on these matters. So the Council of Trent was, in many ways, exhaustive. It went through all the Protestant heirs that had been teeming through Europe for, really, at that point, three decades. And the Council of Trent condemned it. Pope Pius V brought the Roman breviary, that is, the prayers that monastics and priests pray every day. Today, people call it the Liturgy of the Hours. Real name is the Breviary, the Divine Office. He also, in a way, canonized the Missal, the book by which we say the Holy Mass. And he said, in perpetuity, it cannot be changed. This includes 
the 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 mass such as all the parts of the mass, right? The Kyrie, the Gloria, the Epistle, the Lectionary, the Offertory, the Roman Canon, everything. Now, people sometimes say, well, one good thing about Vatican II is we can have new saints and all that. Look, you can add new saints and new feasts, new holy days of obligation in the traditional Latin Mass. That's not, Pius V didn't say that popes couldn't add new saints and new feasts. He said that the structure, the skeleton is in place. And he decreed that. That was the model until the 1900s. When people started saying, you know, Protestants feel excluded. We need to listen to them again. And we need to do whatever we can to Catholicism to make it acceptable to Protestants. We got to downplay the Virgin Mary, downplay relics, downplay saints, downplay uh, these magnificent cathedrals and tabernacles and gold chalices and glorious vestments and make everything lean a little Protestant. There was also, along with this, the denial of the supernatural reality of Catholicism, the denial of the miracles in the Bible, which came along with it, the denial of the miracle of transubstantiation and the miracle of the seven sacraments in our midst. So I'm not going to go into Vatican II, talk about that all the time. Let it suffice to say that most people, most Catholics on the ground, even educated ones, did not, in 1965, sit down and read every single document of Vatican II. For the most part, it was discussed in seminaries, academies, amongst bishops. But the real moment of disjunction, the real moment of crisis, was when the Vatican changed the liturgy. The liturgy had been consistent. It had been something that was familiar from infancy until death. It, the Roman rite, the Roman liturgy, was, in essence, 90% or more identical in 1950 as it had been in 600. There were changes, I understand. The Agnus Dei was added later. Even Pope Gregory the Great made a couple modifications to the canon, but it was never changed since St. Gregory the Great. Of course, there were new feasts, but even the lectionary, for the most part, was the same. And if there were modifications, like adding the Agnus Dei, uh, they were gradual. There was no such thing as just saying, well, now we got... Yesterday we had the Roman canon, today we got Eucharistic prayer one, two, three, four, and then some other ones out there as well. Nothing as radical as what we saw in 1969, 1970. So in 1970, there was uproar. There was a group in England who wrote Paul VI and said, you know, we got to keep the traditional Latin mass. This Novus Ordo ain't that legit. It was sent to Paul VI. There's a bunch of... People who signed it, I think um, uh, Graham Greene was one of the signers, I believe. But the most famous signer was Agatha Christie. My wife and daughters love Ag Agatha Christie. They read the books. They're probably reading one right now. 
And Agatha Christie, who was not a Catholic, signed it. Paul VI saw this. He said, uh, but when he saw the name Agatha Christie on this petition for the Latin Mass, he said, okay, give it to him. Technically, it was a 1965 Mass. I won't go into that. That's why it's called the Agatha Christie Indult. I believe that was early on, maybe as early as 1971. Meanwhile, there was also Archbishop Lefebvre and many others throughout the world, but Archbishop Lefebvre being the most famous, who founded in 1970 the Society of St. Pius X to retain the traditional mass, retain the traditional priesthood, retain tra traditional seminary formation because seminary formation was changing as well, as we know. Archbishop Lefebvre began that project with approval of the local diocese and with approval of Pope in Rome. The Society of St. Pius X began fully canonically regular. In 1975, however, there were people in France, bishops, clergy in France, Switzerland, other parts of Europe, who did not like the project of Archbishop Lefebvre, complained to Rome. There were people in Rome and cardinals that didn't like it. And he was told, you have to say the Novus Ordo at least one time. You have to consent to the new liturgy. Archbishop Lefebvre said, no, I'm saying the Mass that I learned in seminary. It's the same Mass I said on the day of my ordination. The Mass. If it was not wrong then, it's not wrong now. I'm going to keep on saying the traditional Latin Mass. People followed him. Seminarians followed him. Priests followed him. The Society of St. Pius X started to grow. In 1975, there was concern about it. There was warnings to the Archbishop. In 1976, he and the Society were suspended, and, and there was canonical irregularity. Things continue to grow. The Society of St. Pius X goes all over planet Earth to all the continents, except Antarctica, I believe. Fast forward to 1988. Now, this is where things get really interesting, and this is where we get into today's show, which is Pope Francis suppressing the Pontifical Commission of Ecclesia Dei, issuing a motu proprio, which overturns the motu proprio of Pope Ben XVI, Summorum Pontificum, and greatly restricts and strangles the traditional Latin Mass, seminary formation, and the institutes and societies that were formerly under the Ecclesia Dei Commission. And I'm talking chiefly here of the Fraternity of St. Peter and the Institute of Christ the King. Now, if you're in the live show with me right now on the sidebar, or if you're on a mobile device below you, there's a live chat. There's a poll there. And I've asked people to answer the poll. Where do you go? If you go to the Latin Mass, where do you go? Do you go to FSSP? Do you go to Institute of Christ the King? Do you go to Society of St. Pius X? Do you go to a diocesan Latin Mass? People are saying, hey, we need more options. I want to have put something else in there. Uh, YouTube only allowed me to have those four, so I used the four most common. I know that there are people watching who maybe go to an independent, who maybe go to SSPV, maybe go to a SEDE. I know there's other stuff out there. I can only put those four on there. But I think, I can't see it right now because I'm in the live mode. But I suspect... Most people who are watching this right now are probably either FSSP or diocesan is my guess. But a big chunk of that is Fraternity of St. Peter. And so if Fraternity of St. Peter 
gets regulated or gets suppressed, that's going to affect a lot of families, a lot of priests, and a lot of people. So if you're watching today, I'm going to go through some of this history. I'm going to talk about what are the questions, what are the loyalty tests that Pope Francis and the Congregation for the Doctrine of Worship, what are they going to do to put the screws in to Fraternity of St. Peter, Institute of Christ the King, etc.? Okay, so I just mentioned 1988. In 1988, Archbishop Lefebvre was negotiating with Cardinal Ratzinger, who became Benedict XVI, on getting some kind of situation of recognition, but also the consecration of a bishop. In Catholic canon law, there are some exceptions in history, but in Catholic canon law into the 1900s, it is always presumed that you cannot have a bishop consecrated without a papal mandate. What's a papal mandate? Papal mandate is approval from the Pope to make Father so-and-so consecrated into a Catholic bishop. And it's not only the approval for him to receive consecration as a bishop, but it also gives him the jurisdiction as a bishop. Bishops have to be bishops of places. They have to have jurisdiction. They're not just satellites, right? They actually are bishops over people over even geographic regions. So these negotiations were in 1988, all the way into the summer of 88, things began to break down. Archbishop Lefebvre, even though he had approval, they couldn't get uh, agreement on who to consecrate as bishop. Archbishop Lefebvre moved forward and consecrated four of his priests of the SSPX, Society of St. Pius X, made them bishops. This was a big deal. Some in the Society of St. Pius X did not agree with this move because consecrating a bishop without papal mandate is a reserved sin. It means it's a big sin. It's right up there with like abortion and desecration of the Blessed Sacrament. Archbishop Lefebvre says, well, in accordance with the, canon, the canons of the Code of Canon Law in 1983, I felt compelled to do this. So the excommunications don't fall on me or on these four bishops. We're good to go. I actually have studied the issue, and that's my opinion. You might be surprised to hear that. It's a controversial opinion, but it's becoming more and more widespread that what Archbishop Lefebvre did was not actually schismatic and uh, did not, did not uh, render the excommunication. John Paul II responded with a motu proprio entitled Ecclesia Dei, which is Latin for Church of God. July 2nd, 1988. And he wanted to provide care for those who were followers of Archbishop Lefebvre, but broke with Archbishop Lefebvre over the consecration of four bishops, which happened in June of 1988. So this is just days. John Paul II issues this days after the, 18, the 1988 consecration. This is the origin of the Fraternity of St. Peter. The Fraternity of St. Peter, led by Father Bizig and others, these were SSPX priests who said we can't follow Archbishop Lefebvre in his move here when he consecrates these four bishops. So they sought Cardinal Ratzinger and formed another sacerdotal society, which they named after not Pius X, but after the first Pope, Peter. That happened in 1988. It also created the Pontifical Commission of Ecclesia Dei. 
This was placed inside the congregation for the doctrine of faith, which is in charge of dogma, faith, morals. It's also where Cardinal Ratzinger had been head before he became Pope. He'd been the prefect there. The Ecclesia Dei Commission oversaw the Fraternity of St. Peter. Eventually, it oversees Institute of Christ the King. Eventually, it oversees Institute of the Good Shepherd. I believe, what was the group? Um, Brazil. I find it here. It was around 2005. I had it in my notes, but I just don't see it. Oh, uh, the Priestly Union of St. Jean-Marie Vianney. Uh, in 2000, they reconciled and got regu regularized with uh, Rome. They went under the Ecclesia Dei Commission, I believe. Things kind of continue to move, and the Society of St. Pius X continues to grow and continues to have a relationship, a dialogue with the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith via the Ecclesia Dei Papal uh, Pontifical Commission. In 1995 or thereabouts, there were talks about perhaps giving the Society of St. Pius X the canonical structure of a personal prelature. A personal prelature is what Opus Dei has. It's basically the idea that you have a prelature, a prelate, a bishop, who is over a canonical group that you join not by geographic region, like being in a diocese, but you, you join in person, a personal prelature. I might have those canonical words wrong, but that's basically the gist of it. So in Opus Dei, you can have priests who are all over the world that are under their prelate, their bishop, who's in Rome, right? And they're not really part of the diocese. They're part of the personal prelature. They can operate within a diocese, but ultimately they answer back to their personal prelate, which would be the bishop, uh, the superior of the Opus Dei. That's what was being floated in 1995 for the SSPX. Like I mentioned in 2000, the priestly union in Brazil, Campos Brazil, there had been a major trad movement in Campos Brazil, was reconciled to Rome. And in 2000, if I have my dates right, Bishop Filet of the Society of St. Pius X, he asks for two signs of goodwill from Rome. He asks that all priests of the Roman Rite, not just trad priests, but every single ordained priest, have the permission and right to say the traditional Latin Mass in accordance with the 1962 Missal and Books. That was one uh, sign of goodwill that was asked for by the SSPX. Every time I say SSPX, I mean Society of St. Pius X. The second was that the excommunications of 1988 be declared null, not lift the excommunications as if they were ever there. No, the Society of St. Pius X wanted them to be declared null. They never happened. There was no excommunication in 1988. In 2004, a report was issued about the SSPX. It said, again, this year, dialogue at various levels continued, though slowly, with the St. Pius X fraternity. The Cardinal President had meetings, some at high level in this regard. On the Holy See side, the effective proposals for regularizing the situation remain unaltered. So we can see that even from 1995 to 2004, uh, there's talks, there's updates, there's discussions. In 2005, there's another report. During the year, the Cardinal President intensified dialogue with the priestly fraternity of St. Pius X, finding that it had somewhat improved. 
more concrete prospects of reaching more perfect communion. The Cardinal President had some meetings in this regard with His Excellency Bishop Follet and other members in leadership positions and kept up an exchange of correspondence. So 2005, we see, again, more talk, more hope. Also, in August of 2005, a 35-minute uh, meeting on August 29th with Bishop Bernard Follet, who had requested a meeting. Again, no breakthrough. Statements on both sides spoke of a positive atmosphere. That's 2005. Things are moving along here. Then, boom, in 2007, we have the Moda Proprio Sumorum Pontificum, which actually grants the request of the Society of St. Pius X that every Roman priest, every priest of the Roman Rite, on planet Earth can say the traditional Latin Mass in conformity with the books of 1962. That happened. This shows a certain openness that Pope Benedict XVI had. I personally believe that Pope Benedict felt bad for what happened in 1988 and was trying to go back and fix things. That's my personal belief. In 2009, he, oh, also, uh, the excommunications were lifted. They didn't, I believe they didn't use the word uh, nullification. I believe they used the word lifted. I have to go back and look, but I think that's the case. Also in 2009, the prefect for the Congregation of Doctrine of the Faith became the ex officio head of the commission, Ecclesia Dei. But then, as you know, in 2013, Pope Ben XVI stepped aside. Things have been a train wreck pretty much ever since, my humble opinion. I'm just a dad on a webcam. That's just my opinion from the cheap sheet, cheap seats. And the big, big deal was in 2019. Pope Francis suppressed the Ecclesia Dei Commission. It was gone. That happened January of 2019. Gone. Bye-bye. That's all pre-COVID time. And people began to speculate, why is this? Now, my opinion at the time, it's changed. See, I make mistakes. I say things on camera that are wrong, and I always try to go back and correct them. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes all the time. I've put up almost... I think I've put up almost 800 videos on YouTube. So I am not infallible and I make mistakes. At the time, I was mistaken. I thought, well, I think the reason Francis is suppressing the Ecclesia Day Commission is the Ecclesia Day Commission was initially set up to cater to the fraternity of St. Peter. It's even named after the motu proprio Ecclesia Day, which in a sense is hard on Lefebvre. So, Pope Francis, here was my thinking two years ago. Pope Francis has been, toward, has been soft towards the SSPX. In 2015, he gave them universal and direct faculties to hear confessions. Since then, he seems to have um, given them some sort of tacit permission for seminary formation and for ordination. And he's also encouraged local bishops, diocesan ordinaries, to accept 
the marriages by local SSPX priests and to keep them on their roles, keep them in the diocesan office. So there's been a lot of positive moves. So I was thinking, well, maybe this is just another gesture of Pope Francis by suppressing Ecclesia Dei. He's just saying, look, we're not going to have this hard division anymore between SSPX and FSSP with the word Ecclesia Dei uh, drawn down the middle. We're going to instead get rid of that, put everything in the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith, which I think actually was a good move, and then we can kind of deal with all the trads together. That was my understanding two years ago, even though I was very um, suspect of Pope Francis. Well, now I'm more suspect. And now my new theory, you've heard it all, is the corral theory. It's the Texas corral. You get all the livestock and you push them towards the corral. You corral them together. And then you close the gate. I believe the, the strategy of Pope Francis, he didn't reveal it. He didn't reveal his hand early on in 2015-16 when he started being nice to the SSPX. His plan, since the SSPX don't have canonical regulation, was to keep them at arm's length and give them goodies and treats and candy. To keep them happy. And then begin to push on and persecute the traditionalists within the regular structures of the church, to push them and suppress them and push them out towards the SSPX. So once everyone is corralled together, he can then try to close the gate. I don't think they're going to be successful. I think this whole thing is going to backfire on them. And there's going to be a big Red Sea moment in which tradition wins and the traditional Latin mass wins. I can really honestly see the Novus Ordo dying or being dead starting in about 20 years. I know that seems afar off, but time flies when you're having fun. So now I, now in retrospect, and then maybe in two years I'll make another video, I'll say, man, back in 2021, I was dumb. I thought all this. But in retrospect, I see now that what Pope Francis is doing is he's giving treats to the SSPX and then he's pushing out the Institute of Christ the King, the Fraternity of St. Peter, Institute of Good Shepherd, etc. And we saw in the recent Moda Proprio, he's dropping nuclear bombs on the diocesan clergy who are saying diocesan Latin masses. So if you think about it as dominoes, the first domino was to get the diocesan Latin masses shut down in the modo proprio. Let me read it. Do I still have it open? I certainly do. Blessed be. In the modo proprio, he says that the, the seminarians who are not ordained by the date of the modo proprio are not to have permission to celebrate the traditional Latin mass unless the bishop appeals to the apostolic see. Amazing. That effectively shuts down the traditional Latin Mass on the diocesan level. Also, Article 2 gave all these special permissions for the local bishop to regulate the liturgical celebrations of the 1962 missiles. Big deal. Article 6, and this is where we get to today's topic, Institute of Consecrated License Societies of Apostolic Life, that's Institute of Christ the King and Fraternity of St. Peter, erected by the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, fall under the competence 
of the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies for Apostolic Life. What Pope Francis says here is, not only is Ecclesia Dei gone, FSSP and Institute of Christ the King are no longer under the Congregation of Doctrine and Faith, where they were safe. They have been moved under the super liberal, dangerous congregation for consecrated life and societies for apostolic life. In other words, now you're going to have the superiors of the Fraternity of St. Peter and Institute of Christ the King rubbing elbows with the superior of the Jesuits and the Paulinists, etc. Article 7 of the Mona Proprio says, the Congregation for Divine Worship and the disciplinary and the discipline of the sacraments and the Congregation for Institute of Cross Consecrated Life for matters of their particular competence exercise the authority of the Holy See with respect to the observance of these provisions. In other words, FSSP and Institute of Christ the King and all the others cannot appeal to the Congregation for the Doctrine of Faith where all their friends are, or some friends. They're now under liberal Roche at worship and the liberals over at the Congregation for Consecrated Life. Now, today's podcast is the superiors being called to Rome. It was inevitable when this motu proprio came out that they would be called to Rome to talk about how to implement the motu proprio. Major rule changes in canon law were made with regard to, I'm just going to say Fraternity of St. Peter and Institute from now on, Fraternity Institute, so I don't have to say all the acronyms or the full thing. Y'all got me on that? Fraternity Institute. That's what I'm going to say. The superiors and the leadership of the Fraternity Institute are going to have to meet in Rome and talk about all these canons, the eight articles of Traditionis Custodis. How are they going to be implemented? You remember that part of Traditionis Custodis, the motu proprio, is that there can be no suspicion about the uh, Second Vatican Council, the New Mass, etc. It says here, in order to promote the concord and unity of the Church, this is Pope Francis, or at least his motu proprio, with paternal solicitude towards those who in any who in any region adhere to liturgical forms antecedent to the reform willed by the Second Vatican Council, my predecessors St. John Paul II and Ben XVI granted and, regular, and regulated the faculty to use the Roman Missal edited by John XXIII. In this way, they intended to facilitate the ecclesial communion of those Catholics who feel attached to some early liturgical forms and not to others. So the whole thing is positive that we have a feeling that we're attached to it and they're being nice to us and they're giving us some sugar, they're giving us sprinkles. That's what's going on. And that's why, remember I talked about the Dragon Canon Article 3? One of the subpoints under Dragon Canon Article 3 in the Motu Proprio is, is to determine that these groups do not deny the validity and the legitimacy of the liturgical form dictated by Vatican Council II and the Magisterium of the Supreme Pontiffs. So, here's what I suspect to happen. I've heard it's going to happen in September. Leadership of Institute and Fraternity are going to come to Rome 
And there's going to be conversations that sound maybe like this. Look, you guys are doing a great job. We just love you so much. But look, here's the thing. We need to make sure that every single one of your priests, 100%, and every single one of your seminarians are 100% on board with every jot and tittle of every single sentence of Vatican II. We want to know, before we continue to guys to give you permission, the traditional Latin Mass, traditional bravery, traditional sacraments, traditional rites, traditional everything, we need you on board. So what they're going to do is they're going to take the conversation that they had with the Society of St. Pius X for decades, and now they're going to reinforce it on their own groups. So Vatican II is going to be emphasized, and there will be a loyalty test on Vatican II. Another point, what about the new Mass? Do you, priests of the Institute and the Fraternity, do you denigrate the new Mass? Do you think it's less than the traditional Latin Mass? Do you discourage people from attending the Latin Mass? Here's a third point, if you're keeping bullet points. Would you refuse, if asked under obedience, to say the new Mass? What if your bishop said, hey, uh, Father Trad in the Fraternity of St. Peter, um, we need someone to rush to the hospital, or we need someone on, this is better, we need someone on Thursdays to say Mass at the hospital, because we don't have a priest there right now. So I'm going to go ahead and, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and need you to come in on Thursday and say the Novus Ordo at the hospital. That'd be great. Loyalty test. Are you so loyal to the Pope and the Bishop that you will say the Novus Ordo? Number four, hey, are you united with the local priests who say the Novus Ordo? Or do you see yourself as part of this exclusive schismatic club? In order to prove that you are just one of the boys in the diocese, every year during Holy Week, you will be required in the diocese in which you reside to attend Chrism Mass and to con-celebrate the Novus Ordo with the bishop. If you refuse, you are a schismatic. You are rejecting the liturgical form of Vatican II. And you are effectively saying that all the other priests of our diocese are doing it wrong. And that means you're a bad person. Those are the four. Are there any others? I can maybe see, maybe we, we could do 4A or 4B here. I can maybe them saying, look, we also want you in uh, group gatherings to say the liturgy of the hours with the rest of the clergy. We don't want you over there mumbling your Latin, your breviary. Nope, nope, nope. We can get rid of that. We want you to go over there and say the liturgy of the hours, office of readings, all that. I could also see... Maybe this is for C. Maybe a, a requirement to use the books of um, baptism, etc., of the Novus Ordo. It might even be the case, oh, you want confirmation? Well, your people at your Latin Mass parish are not getting Latin traditional confirmation. They're going to get the Novus Ordo confirmation, and you're going to endorse it, and you're going to accept it, and you're going to promote it. 
I can see that happening. And then another one I could see happening is it was already kind of in the Mono Proprio. Actually, it wasn't the Mono Proprio. It said that the vernacular had to be proclaimed in the liturgy. Uh, most traditional parishes, SSPX, FSSP, Institute of Christ the King, I've been to all three. Um, on Sundays, I can't remember any time in my life where I haven't seen the priest or on a feast day uh, recite the epistle and the gospel to high mass, sing them, subdeacon, deacon. And then at the pulpit before the sermon, read the epistle and the gospel in English, in the vernacular. That always happens. But I can see them pushing for the epistle and the gospel to always be only in the vernacular. And then I can also see them maybe saying, we're going to issue a new trad missile. This is getting real extreme. Hopefully this doesn't happen. A new trad missile that has approved stuff that we wanted. And we're going to also uh, force you to have all the new saints and all the new feasts and everything. So kind of a blended uh, lectionary and a blended calendar. These are conversations that could happen in September. Now, the leadership has an option. They could either A, say, yes, Holy Father, we will do all these things. That's going to not destroy the, the traditional movement. It's going to, it's going to cause a major meltdown. I think we would survive it, but it'd be a major meltdown. And the Society of St. Pius X would, would grow. Their stock would go up in a big way. The other option would be for the Institute and the Fraternity of St. Peter to resist. I don't know what that would look like. Would that mean that parishes are suppressed? Would it mean division in the Fraternity of St. Peter and Institute of Christ the King? Institute of Christ the King is a little different because I know that they already con-celebrate. At least I've been told that. So I don't know. You know, they might be more lenient. I don't know. But it'd be a major mess. It'd be a major mess either way. And so my advice, again, I'm just a dad on a webcam in a room over the garage. My garage door is broken. Just met with the guy. Such a pain. Put in a new one a year and a half ago. Still under warranty with all these problems. You don't want to hear about it. Anyway, I'm just a dad over his garage right now. And it's Texas. It's hot. I'm getting sweaty. Here's my advice to you. If you're a traditional Catholic out there. By the way, if you're liking this show, please give it the thumbs up. Please share it on, on uh, Facebook. You are my algorithm. YouTube doesn't care about traditional Latin mass or anything I'm talking about. So YouTube is not going to promote these videos. You are the promoter. You are the algorithm. So please take the link to this show and share it on Facebook or Twitter. Facebook is best. And also please subscribe. I can't count on YouTube saying, hey, watch this show on Moto Proprios by Pope Francis and the Fraternity of St. Peter. YouTube has no idea what this stuff means. Half the stuff is in Latin. You know, we're talking about Traditionis Custodis, Sumorum Pontificum, Ecclesia Dei. YouTube has no clue. So I need you guys to give it the thumbs up and I need you guys to share it on Facebook and I need y'all to subscribe and hit the bell so we can keep this information going. 
Okay, here's what I think you need to do. You know, you've heard people say diversify your portfolio. In a way, it's kind of dumb. If you diversify it too much, you got nothing. But in a way, diversifying keeps you safe. It hedges you in a certain way so you don't lose everything. You know, you want to you want to grow. You, you want your investments to grow, right? But you don't want to be so so all in on one thing that you lose it all. And so what I would encourage you to do is to diversify in your traditional community. Here's what I mean. Do you know some traditional priests? I'm surprised people, they get real, when I say this, they get kind of like fussy and they're like, well, how am I supposed to know a traditional priest? I don't know. I call them up. I talk to them. I invite them over to the house. Have them over for a lunch or dinner. Um, have them over for a drink or smoke. Go to traditional conferences. You'll meet all kinds of traditional priests. You need to know traditional priests in your state and out of your state. Or if you're in Germany, you need to know some traditional German priests, but you also need to know some traditional Swiss and French priests too. You got to diversify because I think times might get a little difficult. I'm not trying to scare people or get you to you know, buy my brand of, of uh, freeze-dried food or silver and gold. But I am telling you, spiritually, you need to prepare and diversify. So get to know some traditional priests outside your circles. And then, if you live in an area that has a multiplicity of traditional groups, I would encourage you to get to know them all. If you have fraternity and Institute of Christ the King, uh, get to know both of them. Try to get to know both priests. Try to get to know laity in each group. By the way, this is also helpful if you are a parent with many children. One day those children, if they don't have a vocation or religious life and priesthood, are going to need to marry other young traditional Catholics. If your traditional community only has 104 people in it, that's a pretty small gene pool. Might need to branch out. This is why I said we got to diversify. Get to know the priest, get to know the lady in other groups, uh, other cities nearby, because a time may come when one of them gets shut down, one of them gets restricted, or they begin to play, um, what's it called, musical chairs, and bring in other priests that are kind of whack or not solid or not legit. You have to do something for your family. Because I'll tell you what, I'm not taking my family to a clown mass or a puppet mass or a balloon mass or a heresy mass or any of this nonsense or dropping hosts on the ground, spilling chalices on the pink carpet. No, not doing that. So you need to diversify. And one of the good things about diversifying is you get to know other priests, other parishes, other lay people. And that's good, I think. That's good. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen. And of course, the most important thing is that you know Jesus Christ. He's your Lord and Savior. You believe everything that he taught. Everything he taught in the Gospels. Everything he taught to the apostles in sacred tradition. You know your catechism. You know what? You're not just like, oh, I took catechism when I was seven years old. That's weak. Don't do that. Imagine if you showed up at your job and your resume stopped at age seven. 
you, you're pathetic. No one wants to hire you. So how come your Catholic faith, you stopped catechesis when you were seven? That's pathetic. Get this book, The Catechism of the Council of Trent. I have a whole list of books. I call it the Happy Meal. This is what I came up with. It's dumb. Happy Meal. Google Taylor Marshall. That's my name. Taylor Marshall Happy Meal. And you'll a page will come up on Google and it'll list the books that I recommend you reading. And this is at the very top of the list. Catechism of the Council of Trent. Read the Bible every day. Dewey Rames. Don't read King James. Don't read Protestant stuff. Read Catholic Bibles. Dewey Rames is the best. Yes, it has these and thous. You'll figure it out. It's not hard. Pray the rosary every day. Do I ever get tired of saying it? No. Pray the rosary every day. You want to hear why? Let me tell you why. Listen to this. Padre Pio, St. Pio. Our Lady has never refused me a grace through the recitation of the rosary. It's pretty solid, isn't it? Listen to this. St. Pius X. Pope St. Pius X. Of all prayers, the rosary is the most beautiful and the richest in all graces. Love the rosary and recite it every day with devotion. End quote. Pius X. Did Pius X just say pray the rosary every day? Yes, he did. See, it's not just a Taylor Marshall podcast thing. Pray the rosary every day, Pius X. By the way, if you want all these quotes on how to pray the rosary in Latin English, rosary in 50 pages, you can get it on Amazon or Catholic bookstores. Or for free, you can watch a 14-part series I did on YouTube on how to pray the rosary and how to pray the rosary in Latin. It's all here on YouTube. Check it out. I sent all those videos out, by the way, early to all the Patreon supporters. Patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall. You can get this book signed, all my other books signed in the mail to your house as a thank you. If you go to Patreon.com forward slash DR Taylor Marshall, I will also be sending out on September 8th. I will auction off in a giveaway these two beautiful rosaries to everyone who's a Patreon member or a student of mine at New St. Thomas Institute. These are gorgeous. I think they retail at something like $300 or something. These are from Seraphim, my favorite rosary. I do not get paid to promote or give these away. I just like her rosaries. Seraphim rosaries. People thought last time I was talking about Seraphim Rose, the Rokor Russian Orthodox priest. No, I'm not talking about Seraphim Rose. I'm talking about who's in San Francisco. I'm talking about Seraphim rosaries. I'll be giving away this black one. To a male who's a supporter on Patreon, I'll give away the white one. To a female, it's absolutely gorgeous. I got it here. This thing is heavy. Rattled in beads. But yeah, it's time to get serious, folks. I'm sick and tired of people complaining about their local situation. And so many of them, when I talk to them, I say, well, is there a traditional Latin mass? They say, yeah, but it's like 35 minutes away. I'm like, come on, come on. People drive hours to go to a Latin Mass. You're not required to, but people do. It's time to up your game. It's time to catechize yourself by reading the saints and the magisterial documents. It's time to read the entire Bible. 72 books of the Bible written by 40 authors inspired by the third person, the Holy Ghost. You must read the Bible. People read junk. They read Harry Potter nonstop. You can read the Bible. 
doesn't take, it's not that hard. If you read three chapters a day, which is like almost a page or a little over a page, you can read the whole Bible in one year. I have how to read the Bible in one year. That's also available for free at patreon.com. I also have a cheat sheet that gives you all the doctrines of the Catholic Church in the Bible. All those resources are thank you at patreon.com forward slash drtablemarshall. Okay, resources are here. It's an exciting time to be a Catholic. Don't get discouraged. It's going to be a wild ride. I'm worried about the fraternity of St. Peter. I'm worried about the Institute of Christ the King. Cannot give up on our priests. Cannot give up on our brothers and sisters. It's time to fight. What's your weapon? If you didn't say rosary, you're wrong. Your weapon is the rosary. Pray the rosary every day. You're not on the team. All right, friends. We're going to close up with the Hail Mary. And we'll sign out. Oremus nomine patris et fidei et spiritus sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, or pronobis peccatoribus, nunc et mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri et Filio et Spiritui Sancto, sicuterat in principio et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. Sancte Petre, or pronobis, nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. All right, friends, thanks for watching. Oh, I need to mention this. I'm embarrassed I didn't mention it before. But this is the novena that the superior of the Fraternity of St. Peter's asked for. I got this from, I believe, Anthony Stein, Return Tradition. Check him out. He's got good stuff. Um, I saw this floating around the Internet, but I finally found it on his site. Um, this is requested by the Superior General of the Fraternity of St. Peter this past Sunday to be recited from the 22nd of August, which is already in the past, the 30th of August for the intention of the Holy Father, our community, our apostolates, and more generally for those all attached to the extraordinary form, scare quotes. I can't stand the word extraordinary form. It's like saying real meat or non-soy milk. Let's just say the traditional Latin mass. I'm done with the EF language. The I'm sorry I'm going off on a tangent here, but extraordinary form is basically used by elites in the Vatican to make the Latin mass sound like a museum piece, and it's not. It's a lie. So I, I don't say extraordinary form anymore. I'm done with that. All right. He says, a decade of the rosary. Three times the invocation of our patron, Sancte Petre or Pronobis, which is what I just said at the end of the Gloria Patri. And then this prayer to St. Joseph, which is right here. I will blow it up real quick and hold it on the screen for a second. Take a screen capture. Five, four, three, two, one. All right. There's your capture. Uh, if it's too, if you if you're too late to the game, no worries. You can start praying it now. Do it. All right. Remember, our Lord Jesus Christ says you're the light of the world and the salt of the earth. So go out there and be salty. Be a saint. Rattle those beads. Oremus pro invicium.